this message is about the church or for the church and and uh, just thinking how blessed it is to be a part of a church family. Just listen to the singing. Um, I know those things don't happen by accident. And so uh, thank you for that. If you would find your find your Bibles, find your place. Acts chapter six. We're going to be in Acts chapter six tonight. The title of the message is work together. Simple title, Work Together, and we see a good example of that in Acts chapter 6. I was looking for, uh, you know, some, some attention getter at the beginning of this and, and um, maybe would pull a military quote or something, and I didn't, I didn't find anything that I really wanted to use. One was good. It talked about, you know, teamwork is where you divide the task, you multiply the success. One of them had nothing to do with teamwork, but I just thought it was funny. I wanted to share it with you. You know the quote, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the Marine Corps version of that is you can't lead a horse to water. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can make the horse wish he had. <laughs> I just I, so I like that. I don't know how it fits in the teamwork, but I thought that's good. <laughs> Maybe some leadership skills. Um, anyway, um, Acts chapter six. And so. We're, this is a familiar uh, passage for many of us, and oftentimes when a church will uh, seek to, um, you know, maybe uh, look at selecting men to serve as deacons or workers, uh, I'm not necessarily taking the approach about deacons. I, I just saw where teamwork was a, uh, happened here, and there was a great benefit for the church working together and not allowing a potentially divisive problem to get into the church and cause problems. And so I want to look at that tonight. So if you would, let's stand together. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we'll read down to verse 8 and dive into the message. Acts chapter 6. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you for our church, Canaan Baptist Church. Thank you for you organizing a church and just making a body. What I've, I've personally learned, just the importance of how a church body helps a, an individual Christian, a family, really flesh out the truth that you give us from your word. And Lord, thank you for organizing our church, pastors and deacons and uh, lay leaders and just a variety of people that serve and work and Lord, I pray this would help us looking into 2023, Lord, that 
that we would handle things the right way, that we would work in the right way, with the right attitude, with the right heart. And so, Lord, would you uh, meet with us tonight? May your truth go forth and encourage and sharpen us all tonight. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. And so the uh, Church of Jerusalem is, is large at this time. Uh, thinking back to uh, when the disciples uh, preached, or when uh, Peter preached and thousands were saved, and some people let that event get eclipsed by the fact that tongues were used and languages were used. Really the highlight was 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day and got baptized. And the church began to increase. And it continued to increase. And so what happens when you get a bunch of imperfect people together in one group, one house, one place? Um, hey, problems, problems arise. Uh, and so we, that, we see that here in the scripture. More importantly, though, is the work that was done to overcome uh, this potential uh, problem or, or uh, mishap that, that arose. And I really want to kind of focus on that, too. That's why I titled it Work Together is the title of the message. D.O. Moody was quoted as saying, There are many of us willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. I think we're going to see where little things being accomplished by great men really benefited the church to such a degree that the Bible says again about the church at Jerusalem, disciples were multiplied. So in verse 1, let's look at, here, here's our, our problem presented to us in verse 1. In these days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. A man by the name of Tim Christensen, Christensen wrote, Until natural friction develops, there's no real test of a team's strength. And we see some friction begin to develop here in verse 1. Uh, murmuring. That's never a good thing. Anytime there's murmuring among any group of people, uh, it's never positive. In fact, the Bible gives us references to murmuring, and it's never positive or with positive outcomes. But you had two groups of people in this church. And one group were Grecians, the other group were Hebrews. At first, I'm thinking these are, these are Greeks. But I believe at this point, there's primarily Jews in this congregation. So you have some people who are um, Jews, and they've, they've been in the Jewish way of life and Jewish religion. Then you have some that have been heavily influenced by maybe Greek culture or um, the Greek way of life. And, and sometimes people would refer to them as the Hellenist Jews. Uh, we're going to... I'm going to stick with Grecian, so I'll refer to him as that. But you had, you had two groups in here. And so, not to, I'm not trying to be uh, light or funny. I mean, it may sound funny, but the Grecians were probably the people that, in their eyes, were a little more sophisticated because they've been cultured. They've been cultured. And the Hebrews were probably more, more uh, orthodox, and maybe uh, their standards may have been somewhat uh, higher. And so the view of each other could have been maybe not the best view. Maybe the, the Greeks, the Grecians thought they were more cultured and maybe the Hebrews, the other Jews thought, well, we've been doing this a little while. We may, maybe we know more Bible. We know more uh, religious works. Either way, that could be inferred. 
But the, the, the problem that did arise is that there are some people who thought some others were being neglected. They were being overlooked. Could be, a, you know, when we look at this, um, we don't know if this was just a perception or if it was fact. I like to go with treating it as fact because I believe the Bible would have told us if this was a perception. But either way, you've got some people that are being neglected. Simply put, what's happening ain't fair. That's the mindset. What's happening isn't fair. There could be some discrimination going on. And so the murmuring begins to arise. And maybe an offense possibly is happening. And the Bible tells us how we are to deal with offenses. We see how the 12 apostles dealt with this potential problem. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. That whole verse really tells us we're to reconcile. We're to make things right. When the apostles heard that murmuring was happen, happening or arose, murmuring is, is never good. In fact, here's the definition of murmuring. Murmuring. That's the definition. <laughs> Muttering. I think this is good. Murmuring is really we're unha unhappy, displeased, but we don't really say a whole lot about it. It's under our breath. It's secret, well, to the people we trust who know they're not going to say anything to anybody else. And so, therefore, murmuring really is defined by kind of how it sounds. We're just keeping things low and under our breath, and we're not saying a whole lot, and so we don't want people to hear what we're saying. So I think that is murmuring. In fact, it is murmuring, muttering, a secret debate, secret displeasure, not openly avowed. The leadership at the Church of Jerusalem wasn't going to allow murmuring to continue in the church. They were going to address the problem. There's no debate. Uh, there's no uh, let's 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 find out. They just deal with the problem. Uh, murmuring and complaining are never God's preferred responses to personal problems or problems in a group. We heard our, our uh, preacher this morning, Brother Hay, he talk, took us back to the Old Testament and uh, we were uh, hearing about the Israelites being delivered from Egypt. And we know their story about murmuring, Numbers 11. And when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. Many times, I think 40-something times in the Bible, murmuring or its close synonym are mentioned, and it's never positive. And Moses told the people of Israel, after they had left Egypt, he said, The Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Now, in that Situation. They were murmuring against Moses. They weren't happy with their situation. The murmuring here could or could not have been against the leadership, but they were murmuring about 
an offense. Something's not fair. Something's being overlooked. And we're admonished in Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Jude tells us that murmurers or complainers, they walk after their own lust. Peter says that we are to be hospitable one to another without grudging. And so right off the bat, we see first point, they're working, or let me, let me read you my first point, work together to solve the problems. They're working together to solve the problems. Look at verse 2. The twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Point number two, they're going to work together to share the responsibilities. So they're choosing a course of action in verse two. There's a multitude of people. That's a lot. I don't know how many the number is, but a multitude is a large number of people. A large number of disciples are here in the church of Jerusalem. And the twelve called them and said, it's not um, reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They give us a good example here. When problems arise in a church, in a multitude of people, and they will, what's our responsibility? It's not to complain, but to take the problem to the people that can do something about it. I like the way they approach this. They go to the people and they say, it's not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. So they're starting to state their priority. Here's the priority of our church. Here's the priority of the leadership. Verse 4, they say, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer into the ministry of the Word. The leadership didn't assume the response, they assumed the responsibility of the problem, but if you notice, they didn't assume the task. And why is that? Why is it that the leadership didn't assume the task of just going and taking care of the problem? And I think it's worth investigating why that is. You know, for a preacher, a pastor, and I'm thinking, I'm really thinking of our church here because we're here together. But this would apply to any church that has good biblical leadership for the apostles to teach the word of God to pray the right way takes sacrifice. One commentary quoted young, a young preacher talking to an older preacher, and he said, I'd give the world to preach like you. And the older preacher said, that's what it's going to cost you. The, to preach and pray properly requires the sacrifice of, the, of, the, of your world, of your day, of your time. It takes time. It takes scheduling. Um, it takes long periods of no interruptions for a man to give himself over properly praying in Bible study. And this isn't to say that good churches don't have this happening. I just think it needs to be understood. And I think we do understand that. Praying is where the work is done. Preaching is like the window dressing from the praying that's occurred. And these apostles didn't think that the work of caring for the widows was beneath them, not at all. They recognized quickly that they shouldn't have to leave the place of Bible study and prayer to go over here and take care of other responsibilities when there were people who were well-fitted and willing 
to do the work. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. There were men ready to accomplish, men ready to accomplish the work, willing to accomplish the work. And, you know, it even talks about serving tables. I don't necessarily think that that is like a waiter. Like some of us probably uh, visited maybe a local restaurant today if you happen to go out and eat for lunch. And I think it means maybe more of the idea of these men were giving uh, provisions and giving money to go and give to these, these people in need. And these people may have been going to the temple for the meeting of their needs. And so now they're saved, they're in a local New Testament church, and so they're looking to the church to care for them. And so a lot of responsibility is now here, but it's important, the biblical examples that leaders really don't do it all. Paul urged Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. He tells him, he says, uh, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, and under the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. See, this church, this church grew quickly, and there are a lot of people. And they may have met in different homes and different places. And so in order for the disciples to be given the word regularly, it took a lot of labor in the word and a lot of prayer. And so for this church to continue in its, uh, its success, I could say or should say, it took the total dedication of the men leading the church to stay focused on two things, the word and prayer. It doesn't mean that they were irresponsible or had no care or love for the widows in need. But I think it's important to know that when Paul, as he's urging Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, you have to stay dedicated to the word and prayer because if you're preaching doesn't change your life, it's not going to change the life of the people you've been instructed to lead. And I may not be making this connection the best way, but this church, just by the fact that this division is probably occurring, they ever more need the word and their leadership to pray. This church had taken many attacks from the outside. They were persecuted. They lost jobs. The church had to care for each other because many of them couldn't, couldn't labor, couldn't work. Now Satan's going on the inside of the ranks. He's coming inside the church, and he's wanting to divide that way. New tactic. They'd survived. God had delivered them through so many difficult trials from the outside, from the Roman government. Now it's on the inside. And so it's, we could look at this as, yes, there's a problem. Oh, man, these guys are great. They're, they're great organizers, and they can pick this man and that man and put them together. And there you have your examples of deacons. I believe it's much, it, that is true, but it's much more than that. They're, they're deciding, the church, the multitude is deciding to work together and to trust um, the plan of action, the course of action that's laid out for them. 
And we're going to see here in a minute how God has some great men of God in the church to help care for a seemingly small issue of just seeing that some widows get some food and maybe some money. Verse 3 of this sharing of responsibilities, the apostles say, Brethren, look yet among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Really, this is just a, a short list. These are men. They're part of the church. I don't know if they were fully given over to full-time ministry. I don't know if they were lay leaders. I don't know if they had a full-time job. But as the apostles look at the multitude, they tell the multitude, would you find men? Would you find someone to oversee this responsibility? You know what that tells me? We as the church body, if I could say in the pews, we understand when God's hand is on an individual life. I believe it plays a role in when people will, um, may believe or have the inclination that God's calling them into ministry. I, I, I don't know if I have any uh, uh, fact to prove this, but I wonder oftentimes if the one who surrenders to full-time ministry is the last one to know. Because you probably already know who God may call into the ministry. You're watching how they live their life. You're with them in Sunday school, Bible fellowships. You sit next to them at fellowship meals. You ride on the bus next to them at Operation Saturation. You know the family. You know where their address is. And you've been watching them. I believe the pastor knows who God is dealing with in their individual life when it comes to being called into the Lord's work. This is really a big deal that the, it, the apostles didn't choose seven. The multitude of the disciples chose seven. The people chose seven. And it's amazing to me who they chose. We're going to get to that. There were seven I don't, um, of honest report. What does that mean? They had an honorable testimony. They walked the walk. The Bible says they were full of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Lacking nothing. Thoroughly permeated with God. Because He's the Holy Ghost. Uh, Tim Christensen, a man I quoted a moment ago, he said this. A spirit-filled man is one who's temper is controlled, whose words are measured, whose thought life is pure, whose motives are noble, whose walk is steady. He's simply not doing his best to get by. He is receiving a divine enabling to be a better man than he could ever be on his own. He is demonstrating characteristics consistent with the spirit who lives within. Those names I read, that's those guys. They weren't the 12 apostles. 
Those are men sitting in the pew. That's powerful. Praise God for men that are pursuing a spirit-filled life. The Bible tells us that they were to be wise. That means they had intelligence. They could oversee affairs. They could manage things well. And why were these particular characteristics necessary? Because the 12 apostles were going to appoint them to oversee the caring for the Grecian widows to not just to squash the murmuring. That's that's not the point. The point is, hey, fellas, would you go and take care of this for us, for the body? Would you take care of this? Would you uh, ensure that not only are the Grecian widows looked after, but so are all the other widows? Would you would you take good account of the money? Would you make sure that the supplies are given, have been counted and distributed evenly? Um, we're, we're here to serve all. This is our church. And we can see a potential problem here. If we don't get the right people overseeing this, uh, this, could, this, this could divide people. And we're not, we're, not, we're not having Satan divide our church. And so God put among their ranks people like Stephen and Philip. We, we know Stephen and Philip. I read in verse 8 about Stephen. We know the next chapter, uh, Stephen becomes a martyr. We know Philip, the evangelist who's used uh, his family's spiritual. Well, what about these other five? Um, can someone turn in the Bible and tell me about uh, Nicanor? Can, can y'all, do you know a verse where um, he went on to do wonderful things for Jesus? No? Hmm. What about, um, I love this name, Parmenius. Anybody want to know where Parmenius, did he go to India and become a missionary? I don't know, we don't know about that. It's amazing. That's the majority of workers in a church. They're just people content to serve the Lord. No reputation, no limelight, just serve behind the scenes. We We don't know what happened to those guys. But they were chosen. Those men were honest men, full of the Holy Ghost, wise, appointed over the business. I know I've already mentioned this, but not only does leadership know who God's hand is on, the multitude of the disciples recognized it too. And so these men were appointed to oversee the needs of the church. I do want to, I'd put in some notes together here, and I wasn't sure where to uh, interject these. But as I looked at, just thinking of Stephen, because he seems to be a prominent one, and verse 8 tells us that he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. Before Stephen was a great preacher, he was a great servant. He began his ministry serving the widows. And as I thought about this, um, and in my own, my own life, just thinking about how God's brought me along, and I was talking with Pastor not long ago, and just sharing with him the churches that my family and I had a privilege to be a part of. Um, the churches we were in were predominantly of a younger population. 
no offense to the senior saints, okay? I'm just trying to describe to you the context of where we were. The oldest person in our church would probably be about 50. It's a military community, so you can enlist at 18, and then if you happen to make it long enough, um, your backs and knees survive. You know, you could be on the 40s, closer to 50, and that, that was the church. So it was like, it was like having a uh, pastor and then a pew full of staff people. They were just, all, they were just energetic. And so a lot of times the churches we were in were, um, they're always challenging people to join, uh, you know, challenging us that God could be calling us. And, and uh, I know this is live stream, so some of my people that were there may hear this. It's okay. But I felt like they were, it became a recruiting pitch. Recruiting people into the ministry. That's not a call. Recruiting is not. And I'm I'm thankful. I love the way, you know, pastor is always seeking the Lord's direction. And and we've time to time heard challenges on God's call. And I believe everyone should. Everyone has a has God's will, God's call in their life for a certain thing. But can I just tell you, I'm, I'm almost of the mind of as pastor sometimes does a lot to discourage people from joining a church. And it's not that I would ever want to discourage anyone from serving the Lord. But you need to have a wake-up call if you think God's dealing with you about full-time ministry because some of the greatest battles you will face are personal ones as you are on the ministry trail. If I could say this, full-time ministry is like constant pressure every day. I'm not talking about me personally. I'm just trying to give you an idea. Pressure. I think, I'm just thinking of Stephen. Stephen was called to, to he, God put upon his life to preach, but he started in the church serving widows. God, to serve widows, God took men who were permeated with the Holy Ghost. Well, God, wouldn't you take a man permeated with the Holy Ghost, walks the walk, talks the talk, is wise and intelligent? Wouldn't you lift him up to be a pastor somewhere? I mean, why do you, why do you make him serve widows? Just Throw him up there on the big, the big stuff. It's not how it works. The way up is down. If Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, couldn't be, faith, be found faithful serving the widows in his own church, how could he ever lead his own church? And sometimes when, when um, a church is... Well, Canaan. Canaan is, we, we have, we have, we're blessed. Folks, you, we, are, we are blessed. If, if you've been around or moved around or just been in different places, listen, we don't, not every church experiences this number of people on a regular basis where your Sunday night crowd, your Wednesday night crowd is, is as large as it is. And you don't, you, don't, you, don't find, you don't find churches where groups of men get together and hash out the problems in their life face to face. You don't, you don't have people uh, laboring for two hours on Halloween night um, for, you know, just sweating and, and, and or, you know, you get 80 something workers from your church, 80 plus workers from your church to go to one event and labor. That's just not common. And. And so sometimes you come to a place like this and you get inspired and enamored. Man, I'm going to go on for Jesus. But there are some, you know, why don't little churches inspire people? 
I'm not trying to compare. I'm just saying when God's got his hand on somebody, big church, little church, middle church, church in India, church in Georgia, it doesn't matter. God wants to use the church regardless of its size, regardless of where it is. Hey, let me tell you something. Anyone here that's thinking about ministry, look at, look at these men, man, woman, boy, girl, the qualities would be the same. You know what Stephen did first? He earned his MBA, his mop bucket attitude. There's more people that need a mop bucket attitude. I mean, listen, um, work. I mean, think about it. Stephen couldn't put boundaries on his or any of these men, Philip or Nicholas, couldn't put boundaries on their duties and responsibilities. You know, I'm full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom, but that's where I draw the line. I don't do windows. Especially the big, tall ones. I don't do windows. No. <laughs> You're responsible. Listen, these guys, you know why I believe they were chosen? Their to-do list or their duties or responsibilities, it was non-exhaustive. And it wasn't the 12 apostles that knew that. They, I'm sure they did know that. It was the, the multitude of the disciples. The multitude of the disciples, they knew who cut corners. They knew who didn't show up to uh, Operation Saturation or OPSAT or whatever their outreach was. Um, they knew the uh, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira's of the church. Because... If you remember, that happened in this church, too. They knew. They sat at the same Bible fellowship table. They knew. And I guess maybe by my own, I was just thinking this, because I, I really know that God wants to call people from our church, our sons and our daughters, some of you, and I really mean for this to be a help. But if you're not consistent right here and you think God's called you, you need to check up on that. What if we pulled tithing records? They're not looking at amounts. What about faithfulness? It doesn't matter the amount, but it's faithfulness. Consistency. Man, no one starts at the top. They start at the bottom. And this is a good example for us looking at these men that were chosen to do some seemingly, um, some seemingly low, low task. And then I begin to think about how God assembles the church and puts people together and just the sovereignty of God to let this church grow and have certain people there. God could have orchestrated Stephen and these men to be anywhere, but he put them in the church. You know, God does the same thing in my life and in your life. Yeah. Ten years ago, God knew I'd be at Canaan Baptist Church. Thirty years ago, he knew some of you would be here. If God didn't want you to be here at this point in time, don't you think he would have redirected some things in your life and orchestrated some things for you to be somewhere else? But no, you're here. And so when problems arise, and they will. I mean, we're, 
<clears throat> Newsflash, you and I, we have problems. Yeah. So people with problems create problems. And God knew at whatever time you would experience this little point of friction and this problem over here and that over there. But he has you here. I love what pastor says. God brings people here, not in spite of our problems, but because of them. The church, the church is where the Christian finds victory. The church is where the Christian is able to deal with the problems the right way with the right person and finding the right solution. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It happens here for the believer. You're here at Canaan Baptist Church because God wants to see you in victory every day. He's thumping some of us every day. He's, he's, there's some of us that don't want to, there's, there's people we don't want to talk to. There's problems we don't want to encounter. There's, there's discussions we try to avoid. And let me tell you, it, and the sooner we run to that and deal with it, the sooner we get victory, the sooner we're restored, the sooner the brethren are, are together. Look, they did not let this problem divide them. The whole church worked together. They worked to find a solution. They worked to get the responsibilities divided. And then, you know what the result is? Look down here, verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests. The priest? The priest? In the temple? They got saved too? Oh yeah. Some people think, not that this many got saved, but there would probably be as many as 8,000 just serving in the temple. I'm not trying to tell you that 8,000 got saved, but a great number of priests were obedient to the faith. Could have been that maybe they were watching Jesus all along before, and now they see this church and how they handle the situations among themselves, and they're thinking, wow. But because of the way they work together to solve a problem, they work together to get the responsibilities divided, they also work together to see the gospel go forth. People's lives were changed forever because a group of people said, we're not going to let this divide us. Sorry. Nope. Yeah. Hey, you know what? You don't have to pick me to do this serving widows, but I nominate Stephen. I nominate Nicholas. That, that guy's got God all over him. I, I see the way he is at Sunday school. I, I see, I just, I, I know, his, I see his kids. I see the way, yeah, you, he's, I vote for him. You don't have to worry about me. I'll be here. You know, the way up is down. I'm all good. Just pick Stephen, pick Nicholas, pick someone that can get the work done. I don't want this to divide our church. God's doing too many wonderful things. And if you notice, I believe Stephen, because of his faithfulness to the small work that he was given to do, I believe verse 8 was written. He was faithful in just a small area of his church. And he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. I thought the apostles only did miracles. Wait, Stephen did too? Yes. Because a man was willing 
to say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take care of that. I don't, want, I don't want Satan to divide my church. Let me get to the last, last thing here. Uh, you're here. Apologize for repeating this. I want to read it. You're here because of God. If God wanted to, he would have orchestrated for you to be doing something else and be somewhere else, but not. This is your station. This is your assignment, your place of duty. And as we enlist in his service here at Canaan Baptist Church, just like these men, we're going to own every aspect of the mission of Canaan Baptist Church. And just like these men, we're not going to draw boundaries or have the luxury to draw boundaries on where, where our service begins and ends. Because everything matters. Everything mattered to them. Even the simple task of, over, of looking over a few widows. And so everything about us should display that we are a work of God's grace. And then ask God to use us again and again and again. In conclusion, the church at Jerusalem worked together to solve problems. They worked together in sharing responsibilities. They worked together to spread the gospel. Will you work and not waste energy on assigning blame or comparing responsibilities? Will you put your hands to carry the weight as a team? This will make a difference in our church and the lives of people. I believe that's a good way to go forward in 2023. Will you work? Will you join hands and carry the weight? Will you make a difference in the lives of people today? Let's stand together.